And we are recording with the one and only Dr. Peter McCullough, who asked me, uh, he said he liked my mood lighting. For anybody watching, uh, this is a... Uh, an episode in the new apartment. Uh, I've been offline for about nine days, and this lighting is supposed to be normal, like warm lighting. Uh, instead, it's neon blue, so we look like we're doing a podcast from a uh, Berlin nightclub in an old nuclear bunker. So uh, that's what it is. And uh, Dr. McCall, you're going to have to be patient with me until I figure out how the hell to use all this new stuff. But we have some big news, and uh, well, not technically news, as I've been offline for about a week and a half, but you were the first doctor with a perfect clinical record in history to be stripped of your medical license. Tommy, it's great to be back on the show. I'm, I'm seeing the new metrosexual Tommy. <laughs> incredible, incredible mood lighting. Downtown Portland. <laughs> tell you what, uh, the city's never going to be the same. No. Uh, Dallas, Texas today, Tommy, it's beautiful. It's 75 degrees. I've been slugging it out on TV all day. My wife's out playing tennis, eating nachos with her friends. Let me tell you what, um, you're right. Uh, the developments now are now that the American Board of Internal Medicine uh, has moved forward with a credentials meeting, which they did not allow me to attend, uh, of which they actually provided new evidence that they didn't get it, let, let me review. Uh, and then they've uh, went ahead and recommended that I be stripped of six years of my life, three years of internal medicine, three years of cardiology. These are six years where I slept in the hospital every fourth night, uh, strip away my academic credentials as if my residency and fellowship didn't exist. Uh, you know, I have a perfect clinical track record. I've taken the American Board of Internal Medicine exam four times. It's every 10 years. Uh, and the cardiology exam three times, always passed them. I've had a perfect clinical track record. Remember, the board is only responsible for medical knowledge practice-based learning and, and exam uh, completion. Uh, the board has no political um, role to have. It, it has no role over public speaking. And what happened in September of 2021, they announced a COVID misinformation campaign, that they were launching a campaign. And uh, they didn't say that they were going to review every doctor, the hundreds of thousands of doctors are certified, they don't mention that, so I assume there's no equal protection. They basically went after a handful of doctors, and uh, what they did is they went back in time. So they went back to March of 2021 and said, aha, you said statements in the Texas Senate that we disagree with. So they went ex post facto and statements they disagree with, and that's what they've carried forward and now made this recommendation. So they've given me uh, till November 17th to submit an appeal. So more grind of documents. I have to name an attorney, witnesses. I'm going to request an in-person uh, hearing. Now, I'm busy with patients. You know, I'm, I'm knee deep in, in everything I'm doing just as in a giant illegal administrative burden. And, uh, uh, you know, this uh, alleged misinformation, there's no definition of it. There is, uh, they didn't put out any learning modules. No guardrails, misinformations never appeared in a board examination. It's not in any textbooks. I researched this and I found out misinformation appeared in the uh, English language about 1500 extensively used during Nazi campaigns and propaganda. And it was word of the year by Washington Post, Tommy, 2018 because of partisan politics. Now it's been picked up by uh, the US agencies, CDC, NIH, and FDA. It's been picked up by uh, social media, and now the American Bar of Internal Medicine, and boy, am I paying a price. So what is that? Was that what their their final rationale was? Was that what they defined it as? Because I'd imagine as politicized as they are and seemingly autocratic as they are acting, they had to have given you some sort of reason. Was that the reasoning? Was that the death knell? It's simply a disagreement. Uh, for instance, uh, I use the term negligible mortality for covid in those under age 65, and I'm basing it on the CDC case fatality rates. Uh, they pointed to CDC percentage of deaths within age groups as a, as a different interpretation. So we simply have a disagreement. Uh, we're both citing CDC data. And, uh, you know, Senator Ron Johnson called out Richard Barron, head of the ABM, and said, listen, why don't you come out and we'll just discuss the data, discuss the disagreement. ABM did not respond. A few days later, they tweeted out they were going to double down with the AMA and hunting down misinformation. 
So, so the ABIM doesn't appear to want to have any discussion. Uh, this is just a discussion over data. We're both citing CDC statistics, uh, yet they have uh, basically, uh, effectively, in their processes, convicted me of misinformation. What are the the pathways or the technical, I guess, routes for your own rebuttal against them? Your own does is it simply you just have to get a lawyer? I have to get a lawyer, and you know I've already submitted a notice on a request to a, a prompt dismissal, and it's divided onto procedural grounds and then substantive grounds. So the procedural grounds are, a they came up with a policy, then they went back in time. I mean, I, obviously in March, I didn't even know they had a policy because they didn't have one. Uh, so that's not fair. Uh, they didn't indicate they reviewed everybody or they had methods in review. So there wasn't equal protection. Uh, they didn't allow me to attend the meeting or record it, get a transcript of what, you know, how did they convict me? So there wasn't uh, due process. Uh, after they convicted me, then they produced some evidence regarding their interpretation of CDC statistics. So that, that violates the rule of evidence. They have to lay out everything they think, and then I should be able to respond to it. Then there's a decision. But yeah. instead, they prevent they present evidence after the court case is already uh, concluded. Um, and then lastly, they violated my constitutional rights to free speech. You know, in 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, asserted that doctors have a right to free speech. I was very responsible. I was very exact. It was testimony under oath. Now, they did point out other uh, statements I made in the media, you know, the Tommy Kerrigan podcast is not in the uh, litigation documents, but it could be, um, uh, you know, they they picked out other things in the media. I've made tens of thousands of statements in the media. I consistently quote the data. I am bold, mm-hmm. I'm relentless, I'm fearless in bringing truth to America and the world. And I think what they're trying to do, Tommy, I think they're trying to make an example out of me. And uh, if they can make an example out of me, then they're really going to silence the rank and file doctors in America. Well, that's well, that's exactly what they're doing. I don't think that's a question. Is is if you actually weighed anything, which I mean, in in a in a not even a court of law, but rather in a scientific lab and an uh, exhibition of of objective peer reviewed data, you're correct. But even if they wanted to just say that you are doing misinformation, you are uh, relaying it, it's not. This is not a proportional response. They're not. We we chased him down for ten years, Osama bin Laden, because he 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 funded and orchestrated the attacks of nine eleven. That was a proportional response. Hiroshima was a proportional response to the end of World War Two, which spanned five six years and killed eighty five million people. This isn't this isn't proportional. This is very much so. You cut the head off of a chicken, and the other thousand fall in line. I think that much is clear. And I'm I'm certainly not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor, but I would just say off the top of my head, they can't. Right? That's one of like the main. That's like one of the. That's like one of the the common sense laws, right? They can't retroactively punish you for something like that. Is right? You can always let's say if weed's legal, you know, someone might pardon people who have been convicted, but you can never go back in time. Like right now, you know, I could never be. I can never be convicted for owning weed you know, back in 2011, because it's illegal now. That's, wouldn't that be the very first thing they can't do is very it's simply? Ex, yeah, it's called ex post facto. You can't go back yeah. in time. Uh, you know, all these uh, procedural violations. Now I have substantive things. Uh, you know, they claim deaths that occur in age group is the same as risk. Risk is different. Risk is when someone gets sick, what's the chance of them dying? And the CDC publishes case fatality rates, CFRs. I use the term negligible to mean less than 1%, which is what I do in my clinical practice. So what I did in the Texas Senate is exactly what I do in the exam room with patients. And I carry myself the same way. I probably have almost any media commentator. I cite the data. I, I just lock it all down. People can review what I'm saying. Um, I've never had a chief of medicine. I've never had a chief of infectious disease or anybody of any academic standing actually ever disagree with me. No one's looked me in the eye. No one sat down and, and wanted to have a debate. You know, when I co-moderated the, the U.S. Senate session, January 24th of 2022, the COVID-19 second opinion, I co-moderated with Senator Johnson, who just was reelected narrowly. And uh, we had seats there for our public health officials, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Walensky, Murthy, uh, White House Task Force uh, Coronavirus uh, Coordinator, Jean. They didn't show up. Uh, I can tell you no one 
on the side of the government narrative will even show up for an engagement. It's uh, uh, like I, I asked to attend the meeting of the American Board of Internal Medicine. They said no. Now this next appeal process, I'm going to demand that we go face to face and I have to call witnesses and we're going to show up. We're going to uh, try to film it, record it. Let's get it all in the open. And if they have a disagreement on a mortality statistic, let's discuss it. Uh, That is not material by which a doctor gets stripped away of his entire career. I think Americans will see that plainly. You know, this might, this might actually work in your favor. And I'm not a lawyer again, so absolutely consult with a an actual lawyer. But if we're kind of in this wild west gray area of like the early telecoms, like before we had like the FCC acts and you're in this whenever you have like a, a landmark Supreme Court case where you have to this is what it is going forward. You know, you cannot yell fire in a crowded theater or, you know, uh, you know, women can vote. Or, you know, black people are not equivalent to three fifths of a vote, but rather an entire vote. Whenever you have these landmark cases, it's because you're surfing in this weird gray area and eventually someone has to come in and go, this is what the record is. And this is what it's going to be a precedent for the next 500 years. If we are in this weird gray area, this might actually work to your advantage because they're going to have to define what your misinformation was. And it's going to have to be defined because it's medicine. It's going to have to be uh, defined clinically, in which case you could show the number of patients. You know, look at Dr. Freed and Dr. Tyson. They, what, cured 10,000 patients with 100% efficacy from nine months to nine decades from COVID. They might have to define what you're doing, whereas Pfizer won't do the the tests Pfizer won't release their studies they want to black everything out for three quarters of a century this might work in your favor if you make them define what your misinformation is what are the things you did that killed people in their words they're going to have to prove that you have actually cured people with early treatment maybe I'm being too optimistic but I think you're being too optimistic okay. what they're basically doing is is they're trying to claim a, a like moral authority. They're trying to claim a position that they hold the truth. Their interpretation of the data is better than mine. And it just doesn't happen at this level. You know, there was no one on the committee, Tommy, no one who had a credible scientific track record. I have, you know, 660 peer-reviewed publications, the National Library of Medicine, 60 on COVID. None of them had any of that. None of them. And and so the, the, you know they're they're not it's not a a jury of my peers that's for sure, and um, what they're trying to do uh, I think is uh, violate basically every tenet of due process, violate uh, virtually every tenet of civil rights, uh, and and on the substantive grounds you you know basically completely wrong, completely wrong, and in the on the substantive side what they've done is they've actually picked an assumption. They assume the vaccines are safe and effective and anything that could lead somebody to not taking the vaccine would be misinformation. Now that assumption of safe and effective is erosive. Uh, And I think everybody listening to this knows that safe and effective, you know, let me give you a little news update. The state of Kansas recently pulled all the commercials for COVID-19 vaccines off TV because it was declared they're false advertising. The vaccines are not safe and effective. Hmm. Okay. Well, then, wouldn't they have to, though? I guess I'm, again, I I know I'm being optimistic, but they would have to define what it is that you're doing that is so damaging, because, because this is going to go forward as a precedent. If they're going to make an example of you, they would have to actually define what you can't just say you can do it online. You can do it with Facebook. You can do it in an argument at a bar and just say, ah, misinformation. But I mean, in a court of law, they're going to have to, de- they're going to have to define exactly what you people who will have a, are a lot more nitpicky and a lot more OCD than I am are going to comb through it. They're going to have to define what it is that you're doing. That's misinformation. And they're going to have to define the control, the truth, to which your misinformation, your alleged misinformation is compared against. 
that assumes that there's a, a jury or a fair judge. Oh, yeah. Remember, the appeals process is just with them. Uh, they're the, uh, you know, they're the judge and, and the jury and the court all, all together. The American Bar of Internal Medicine, they're, you know, a private organization. And they can say, listen, we make the rules. We, we, make, we judge whether or not you follow the rules and you didn't follow them. So you're done. Uh, so I would actually have to file a lawsuit. And that's what you're describing is what would happen in a lawsuit. The challenges there are to find fairness. Where, where can we find fairness in the courts? Um, we haven't seen this. You know, there's military members who've had their uh, religious rights violated, their, their medical autonomy violated. The, the courts appear to be completely corrupt. Everything's off the rails. To do a, I guess, a bit of a shift, can we go over the uh, the document you sent me, the or the info, the gra- the graphic, the uh, the DARPA graphic? Yeah, l- let's go over that. You know, my podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report. Now it's audio, so we don't have any mood lighting like the Tommy <laughs> Kerrigan, you know, downtown Portland studio. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm waiting to see some. Uh, you know, some steamy girls in the background there, Tommy. But, um, uh, you know, I can tell you it's audio. It's America Out Loud Talk Radio McCullough Report. Probably the best interview I've done in two years is Alexandra Sasha Ladipova. Tommy, you have to get her on. She okay. is a pharmaceutical executive who's now a retired. She's an investigative reporter. She's done a deep dive on these vaccines. And she pointed out that DARPA, the military part of uh, the military research arm, DARPA has had a program and she pointed me to this uh, part on the website. DARPA, the Adept Protect Program. Look look at this. You can go find this on their, their website right now. Pandemic Pre- uh, Prevention Platform 3, P3. They're going to plan on growing the virus, making an antibody, evolve the antibody, then have the nucleic stru- uh, structure of the antibody and then deliver it genetically in human beings. Uh, and, and look at the bottom here. They they pushed this to government officials and said it can actually end a pandemic within 60 days. And then there can be wide-scale deployment of protective countermeasures. And then look up top to the right. In 2012 is when the ADEPT program was started. They began investing in the development of gene-encoded vaccines. Tommy, this is... Pfizer and Moderna messenger RNA vaccines. This is a military operation. Pfizer and Moderna, they're marketing shields. This has been a military operation from the beginning. Oh. 2012. That's not even... I You know, I thought it was big news. The, the, the argument between, you know, was it, did it start in November 2019 or December? This is 2012. Then yeah, the technology was introduced under the facade of private companies. But this is DARPA. DARPA, you know, funds research uh, military yeah, contractors. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. They started the internet. Eisenhower, the fifties, third. Yeah. yeah. So this is DARPA. Now remember, uh, in our Substack, Courageous Discourse, got the logo there, Tommy, mm-hmm. trademarked logo. Uh, John Leake and I'm going to put a little TM on that. Courageous Discourse Substack, you got to sign up for it. Um, uh, uh, we have a, a, a Substack John wrote, it's called The French Connection. Now, remember, The French Connection was a famous hockey line for the Buffalo Sabres uh, a while ago, famous movie, The French Connection. But what John's referring to is, uh, 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 is Stéphane Banzel. Banzel is uh, a billionaire. He works for uh, BioMeru. BioMeru is a big, favored uh, French conglomerate country, big in vitro diagnostic arm. BioMeru is assigned by Jacques Chirac in a deal with the Chinese Communist Party to build the biosafety lab level four at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Jacques, basically, Banzel helps build the annex, and he leaves BioMeru in 2011, and he joins Moderna. He joins Moderna, a one-person company in Cambridge, Massachusetts, as a billionaire, as a billionaire. And then he begins to work with the National Institutes of Health, BARDA, the military DARPA, and they begin to develop the Moderna vaccine. 
The timing all fits here. This has been early. Now, Moderna, remember, Moderna, within three days of announcing the COVID emergency, declared they have a vaccine. Now, they didn't cook it up in three days. They were working on it for years. Uh, they filed a patent. Uh, they, Moderna co-owns it with the uh, U.S. government, the NIH. Moderna is now suing Pfizer because Pfizer came late to the party with kind of a copycat messenger RNA, and they're suing Pfizer. I think all this is going to come out. It, you know, Senator, Senator Rand Paul um, tweeted out that, uh, you know, now uh, if, uh, you know, he's going to pursue every question and get every answer to every question from, from Fauci. We need, uh, we need DARPA uh, administrators. We, what we know is when the vaccines rolled out, the government document that was produced, when the vaccines rolled out December 2020, at the top was the Department of Health and Human Services signed by Secretary Alex Azar at the time and the Department of Defense. That the vaccines, remember emergency use authorization vaccines have always been for military purposes, mm -hmm. always. Anthrax vaccine, all the ones used in the past. Emergency use authorization is a military uh, uh, authorization. What Lady Pova points out is that really FDA approval is not even needed for EUA. She, what she says is these FDA meetings and approving an EUA uh, product is basically theater. And uh, she points out the FDA has no power to pull a military vaccine off the market. So that makes sense why the FDA is just watching all this happen and they don't have any power to pull it off. Pfizer and Moderna, they don't have power to pull it off either because it's oh, not their yeah. vaccine. The final fill and finish is by defense contractors. Pfizer and Moderna can't even inspect these products. Uh, so when they roll off the line, we have no idea what the percent messenger RNA is in there, how active they are. And Laddie Pova has really broken this open. With, with COVID, with um, influenza vaccine, all the, the side effects are randomly distributed across lots because side effects are more idiosyncratic to the person. With, um, with the COVID-19 vaccines, 80% of deaths with Pfizer are in 35% of lots. 80% of Moderna deaths are in 20% of lots. They are not equally distributed. So there's what's called hot lots probably more loaded with the deadly messenger RNA, which codes for the Wuhan spike protein. You know, we're so close to episode 1,000, and unfortunately, I think I'm going to get killed beforehand. So, it's but in all seriousness, I mean, it's kind of like 9-11. It's like Delta and United Airlines didn't have any say in the grounding of planes, but we all knew that, right? It was in the news that Dick Cheney in the White House ordered the grounding of all planes. This would be like, imagine if if that remained classified, we would all be angry at Delta and United. We'd say, how come you're landing every plane south? And it would seem that way, right? It, they would all seem to be in lockstep. And then years later, you'd find out, oh, it was Dick Cheney actually said you had to ground them. It was a military order under the guise of private companies or publicly shared companies. And obviously, this is all you know, postulation, but I don't care. I'm banned from YouTube anyway. What do I care? But so if this is a military program, that's a whole nother can. That's a whole nother can of worms. Like what? So what is it? It, it, it appears to be a military program against started, our people. I mean, that's the only thing we conclude. That's the so only that's, conclusion. And that's the reason why the military themselves won't let it down even on themselves because it's a military-based program. Uh, you know, there's now a letter from the U.S. Senate in September of 2022, 47, uh, I'm sorry, U.S. Congress, 47 congressmen wrote Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense of the military, said, listen, vaccines don't work. They're not safe. Drop the mandates, drop the vaccines, call back our troops, give them back pay, and let's end this. Lloyd Austin, no response. Senator Johnson's fired out over 40 letters, no response from the FDA, multiple uh, stakeholders, no one will respond. No one will respond. You know why, Tommy? Because this is a military operation. They don't want to get in the way of a military operation. That's yeah, what's going on. Yeah, the last person to try to get in the way of the military-industrial complex was Kennedy. We saw how that went. So, you know, I could almost see it if it was like, if this was in response to COVID and it would be a military operation, Let's just say in response to, let's say it's a bioweapon from China. You could see where, again, kind of like fighter jets over Manhattan on 9-11. It almost makes sense. You'd say the normal rule of law is suspended. 
but 2012. So this has nothing to do with the Wuhan strain. So it can't. I mean, they're clearly thinking up the ideas. The most that's as far back as we know. Well, Tommy, the most innocent explanation is they knew about SARS-CoV-1. They decided it could be weaponized. They wanted to get ahead of the game, work on SARS-CoV-1, in a sense, playing around with it, making it more lethal. They did engineer SARS-CoV-2. That's an American product, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Harvard, Swiss Institute. The work was subcontracted out to, to China, but it was actually an American ingenuity. And so they were working on the threat and working on an answer, monoclonal antibodies, uh, killed vaccines. And it basically became a part of a program. But DARPA was selling this up the line that this was the future, that they were going to be able to end pandemic in 60 days. So, you know, when the test tube broke in Wuhan, China, when the news came out, there was some phone calls. And I think DARPA said, listen, this is go time. This is ADEPT P3. Uh, we got to we can end this in 60 days with the vaccine. And so, you know, the, the marketing name for that was Operation Warp Speed. But all this was locked and loaded, ready to go. Um, I, I think what what really caught everybody by surprise is how toxic these vaccines are. That's the issue. Listen, if these vaccines were taking a like taking a shot of saline, uh, military or not, people would just say, screw it. Just give me a vaccine. Yeah, sure. I would have gotten it. it. Yeah, I'll line up. I, I don't care. Fine. Give me a vaccine. You know, I don't think anybody would care. But, you know, the fact that people are dying in large numbers, VAERS has the deaths now, you know, approaching 15,000 Americans, over 30,000 Americans in ex-U.S. Um, we know the underreporting factor could be as much as 100. Uh, Jessica Rose and others have it about 30, 35. You know, at 100 underreporting, that's 1.4 million Americans that have died with the vaccine. At, at a underreporting at 35, it puts us at about between 400 and 600,000 Americans have died. I mean, this is this is atrocious. You know, silent deaths are seniors. Uh, and the Scott McLachlan analysis from Queens early on suggests, you know, people are dying of the vaccines are people who can't tolerate the reactogenicity, the spike protein, the blood clotting. Those are our seniors. The young people are strong enough to survive it, but the seniors can't. So death among seniors who took the vaccine, I think is where probably all the action is what's making the news is a young person, a young, previously healthy person. And they suddenly die in sports or die in their sleep or, or, or clearly telltale uh, vignettes like Justin Bieber and mm-hmm. Ramsey hunt syndrome. Uh, you know, I can tell you, I have a couple of patients in my practice with Ramsey hunt before COVID, but it's always people over age 60. They've previously had chicken pox, you know, Bieber doesn't fall into that category. I, I guarantee this is Ramsey Hunt due to the vaccine. It's published in the literature. His wife, I mean, you can't make this up. She has an atrial septal defect and she develops a blood clot. It shoots to the brain uh, and they have to retrieve it. Uh, now it can happen, but let me tell you what, if if Bieber is following his own rules, he was telling everybody that everyone's got to be vaccinated to go to his concert. Chances are he's taking the vaccine. I'll tell you one thing that Bieber and his wife didn't do is they didn't come out and say we didn't take the vaccine can't blame this on the vaccine no mention so if we're if we're going to take the the best case scenario that it's a sars sars can be can be weaponized and we're going to nip it in the bud all right maybe it's not entirely out of the question sars cov1 was not the only virus in an arsenal ever. It's just, that's just one virus. It's not even a particularly damage. I mean, the plague, Ebola, uh, 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 what is it? Not toluene, uh, tularemia. So in order for that argument to stand up, they'd have to have a program for all of those or it's, or it all falls under the adept program. Because to say that they're 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 hedging their bets against SARS-CoV-1 being weaponized into SARS-CoV-2, okay, but that's not even a particularly lethal virus. I mean, in terms of bioweapons, Tommy, I think you can go through every pathogen. I'm bringing up a report from September 21st, 2015. It's on uh, Fierce Pharma. 
it says Innovio, one of these um, defense contractors, Innovio receives $24 million option grant from DARPA to advance Ebola program development uh, with respect to Ebola vaccine uh, and uh, monoclonal antibodies. Um, I, I think for every pathogen, just type it in your search engine and just take a look at what they're doing. They clearly have a smallpox, monkeypox program. I mean, that's uh, very well developed. The Genios vaccine, um, uh, you know, they, they have a portfolio of, uh, of projects. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, just, again, this is internet searchable. One could just, uh, uh, could just go ahead and, and look this up. Um, you know, but uh, Judith Miller, for instance, uh, others have future germ defenses. And uh, uh, this is a Nova online, the futuristic military research by Soviet scientists presented uh, American biodefenders with a grim challenge. And she goes on to state that really the Soviets have been working on this uh, since the 1990s that we've tried to respond the first director of DARPA's unconventional countermeasures program, Sean Jones, had his own clear vision of the future. He's a doctor and Navy commander who had been a member of the Navy's elite commando unit, the SEALs. Jones traveled the world on secret missions. He believed that defense against germ weapons required radical new approaches. I mean, Tommy, one could make an investigative career on this just in the military. Uh, DARPA has been on this for a long time. They just have an array of, of programs against an array of, of pathogens. You know, recently I'm, I, I, I took time out, Tommy. I had to do it. Um, I watched the most recent James Bond film. <laughs> I had to do it. Any good? And you know what? A couple, couple notable things. Uh, Ernst Stavros Blofeld, the head of Spectre, who on Laura Ingram, I've said the old specter, remember him with the scar mm -hmm. going down. He reminds me of Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum. And, and actually, uh, uh, they, they held, uh, Ingram's producers held him up side by side. Alex Jones just did that. Now, uh, I'm not going to blow it for the viewers, um, but they'll find out what happens to specter. There's a kind of a new look for him. And again, I don't want to spoil it. Uh, for the viewers, but let me just say the context of the most recent Bond film is exactly what we're talking about. It's about a germ. It's about trimming the world's population, an evil guy, uh, the development of a diabolical substance. Daniel Craig, you know, just a tremendous physical specimen. Uh, you know, again, I'm not going to tell what happened, but let me say he is free now okay. to play Peter McCullough in the movie made from my book, Courage to Face COVID-19. <laughs> Tommy, you're laughing. I've been approached by two uh, film producers. John Leake is dealing with them right now, big names. And I said, listen, I want Daniel Craig. Now, I, I've got to start working now and I need to do a lot of push-ups and sit-ups so I can really uh, get in there. We're going to fly you down to Dallas. You can coach me. I'll be your personal friend. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. He's, He's such a stud. I I think they're going to have to get some kind of wimpy uh, guy to play my role. But um, don't put yourself you know, this, down. But Tommy, this is the this is the stuff that movies are made of. Oh, the point I'm making is, is you know, we're talking about James Bond. Just spend some time on the DARPA website. I mean, oh, it'll you know, it'll melt your brain. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, there's a great book you might like called. Um... Uh, the Pentagon's Brain about DARPA by Annie Jacobson. I mean, there were unmanned aerial helicopters with self-healing skin. So if you shot them, the foam would during the Vietnam War. Wow. So like, <laughs> you want to start melting? They had they had a uh, they had radar arrays up in Greenland and Iceland that were so powerful that uh, they were supposed to detect missiles, and instead they started, like, detecting the moon coming over the horizon. They had them so powerful to do early, the early warning line that they said that uh, if you shot, like, a potato gun in the air in Moscow, they could... DARPA has been doing that. They truly are. I mean, you have, like, the black budgets of defense contractors, which are already, you know, light years ahead of anything we have. DARPA is to black budgets what black budgets are to commercial. DARPA is the 
the black budget of the black budget world. They push it forward. That's what they do. They're originally the Jason scientists. They start, everyone knows the internet story. They're also the ones that push the thermonuclear bomb. But Well, I tell you what, so, you know, when you turn on, you watch Mission Impossible or Too Fast, Too Furious, James Bond, The Avengers, Iron Man. You can tell the type of movies that I watch, Tommy. Um, you know, some of these space age ideas and, and, and a villain or some type of technology that goes bad or a rogue person it's not that far off of, of no. reality no and then once you consider that they do have this isn't a conspiracy i mean this is this is fact it was never even classified the pentagon does have a liaison office with hollywood i remember first reading about it when i was in high school and they would lend military equipment to michael bay for his transformers movies but they got to have a word they they got to have some say on how America was portrayed. So you have a lot of shots of the American flag and soldiers do. I get it. I'm I'm on team America. I get it. But you then have to start wondering, is this just a more complex and more uh, diabolically, but intelligently shielded uh, state propaganda? I mean, right. We're now seeing with the DHS leaks that, uh, that a lot of the SNL skits were directly, were directly, advised to be made at behest of the Biden White House. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. That is insane. DHS leaks, you know, I I think that's the real trend of the (laughs) Tommy podcast, particularly since you've gone dark with that moonlighting. Uh, You know, we're just going to get into what in the world is going on behind this. And I'm I'm glad while I pull this up, I'm glad you mentioned the Avengers. I, uh, not the Avengers, um, Transformers. I I miss them in kind of my messaging on action movies. Um, but one thing that was always amazing to me about Transformers is uh, the military mm-hmm. and how they portray the military. Uh, and they always show these guys. I mean, they're the most handsome guys oh, with buzz, studs, buzz cuts. They're all, they're all yeah. oiled up. Yeah, and rips. the one thing, Tommy, the one thing they do on Transformers is man, do they hit the military jargon? These guys are up there. You got a bogey in the weeds. Oh, this yeah. and that. They, they throw out everything. I just I thought those parts were so awesome. I don't even know what a bogey in the weeds is, but no it idea. sounds so awesome. It's fucking great. Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, but... it's just it's just incredible. <laughs> they just they got so much testosterone flowing in those guys. It's unbelievable. But so, then you, um, you have then have to wonder then. You know, is that a form of state? We all laugh at North Korean propaganda. We all, you know, Kim Jong-un hits 18 hole-in-ones. Kim Jong-un doesn't need to eat food or water. We all laugh at that. And part of it, well, one, it's so ridiculous, but partly is because it's coming from the state organ. If you wanted it to be more covert and more belief, right? We all look back at World War II propaganda and, you know, it was a good fight. Got to kill the Nazis. I get it. But you still look at it and you're like, I mean, that's clearly from Uncle Sam. You know, you look at it and it's like a racist depiction of a Japanese guy. And it's, you know, it's like a hot blonde woman. And she's like, go join the Navy. If you printed a Navy propaganda poster now from World War II, people would burn down the recruiting station. What's the the most famous one? Gee, I wish I were a man. I'd join the Navy, be a man and do it. I love it. I think it's badass. But saying all that to say, what would be a more covert way to do it? You would dress it up in a Hollywood movie that, for the most part, really is a private enterprise. But you would just kind of like an mRNA vaccine. You would just kind of slip a message in there. Make sure all the soldiers are perfect hands, jawlines, pumped up veins, oiled up, and they're holding machine guns. That's oh, what yeah. it would do. And, and, and once they get going with that military jargon, you know, you mentioned lost. You mentioned Kim. Uh, uh, Kim Jong Un. You know the. The problem there, Tommy, is come on. Does he look like someone who can shoot a hole in one? I mean, this guy doesn't look like a scratch golfer. I, I, I mean, you know, some of these guys are just not—they're just not believable. It, the, the interesting thing about a lot of these heads of state is they can't laugh at themselves. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, you, you know, and Trump—he—he he can't laugh at no. himself. He can't. I just finished watching Biden up on the up on the podium. Biden cannot laugh at himself. Boy, he was on the um, offense. So I pulled up this report that you mentioned by The Intercept. Yes. The name of the report is called Truth Cops. And it says, leaked documents outlined the Department of Homeland Security 
to uh, plans for to police disinformation disinformation this was came out by Clen Kippenstein and Lee Fang October 31st 2022 and I think everybody should take a look at it. I'll shoot it over for your program notes it says um, uh, Homeland Security has been working on a way to curb free speech now for a period of time a lot of this has come out with a lawsuit filed by Mer- Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt a Republican um, and uh, uh, he said, basically, uh, you, you know, this is Homeland Security working with Microsoft, uh, working with uh, a whole variety of Facebook, um, all these social media. Um, it's clear in this report they were working with doctors' organizations, medical boards. So this could have been DHS working with the American Board of Internal Medicine. I just uh, uh, t- yesterday. I got a letter from the National Institutes of Health by email. Uh, And I was stripped from a committee, Tommy, that I've been on for over 20 years as an academic doctor. You know, no explanation. And they CC'd about four NIH officials. And I have to tell you, those types of things are ripe for Freedom of Information Act requests Mm -hmm. for you. It's a government agency. What prompted them to kick Dr. McCullough off a longstanding NIH committee, right? So that's an opportunity. Is it DHS? Is it CDC? Uh, is it, uh, you know, people say, well, is it Pfizer, Moderna? I don't think it's pharma. I think these are true. Was it, uh, you know, the DOD? Uh, what's behind this? Uh, FOIA, in terms of the American Bar of Internal Medicine is wide open. Uh, FOIA for the California AB 2098, the California muzzle law for doctors, uh, you know, who, what prompted the California Medical Board to memorialize this into law? Again, this idea of any doctor convicted of COVID misinformation is severely penalized. Basically, the career is ruined. Yeah. But there's no definition of misinformation. There's no learning modules. There's no guidelines. There's no teaching points. Think yeah. about that. So think about there's a law, a speeding law, but there's no speed limit. It's just whatever the cop thinks. Yeah. I think that's probably by design. I would like to think it's incompetence and that they're scrambling, but I would think that's probably more about a demoralization thing. There is no law. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We don't care. It's it's a power move. We we don't care. Yeah, retroactive ex post facto. Yeah, shut up. That's what it is. And then you got to think. So uh, to quote a book, I probably quote more than any other, Raven Rock by Garrett Graff, all about the continuity of government continuity of operations and enduring constitutional government basically what happens after an a-bomb goes off and you know lines of succession all that good stuff um there were you keep things very quiet i think it was at&t built the entire like emergency network for the u.s government and it doesn't use like the same towers as verizon or something i mean this is a separate infrastructure for nuclear bunkers to back to DARPA. That's what the internet was initially formed for, formed for, so that you could have decentralization of nuclear bunkers talking to each other in an, an irradiated wasteland. One of the things they had was, and I don't remember the name of it, but they have basically a, an entire network, like a Verizon network, but it's just private. But it was built by AT&T. I think it was AT&T. Um, the DOJ went to break it up, and I want to say 1970. And uh, and I know I, I got to let you go in 10 minutes, so I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up. But uh, the DOJ wanted to break up AT&T and it was going through all the all the processes and all the formalities and whatever and the motions. And then the DOD stepped in at the last minute at the 11th hour and said, you cannot break it up. And it's classified for why you can't break it up. And it was later to classify like decades later. That's because they were building this this government network. It was national security a military operation. So you see it kind of hiding until all of a sudden you break the law and then it comes or not break the law. You threaten it. And then it comes out of the shadows. I said all of that to say, man, you almost got to wonder if that's why it seems so weird and foggy and disproportionate that they're coming out against you is if this is a DARPA adept program from 2012, are you seeing the sort of the beast come out from the shadows and they're yeah, striking I think down. So this idea of significant challenge to a government operation, you know, yeah. recent statistics, I pulled it up this morning, Tommy, from the COVID tracker CDC website, 
8.4% compliance with the bivalent vaccine booster program. No one's taking these. I mean, that's abysmal. They wanted, you know, skyrocketing rates and people jumping in the streets, taking these bivalent vaccines. Nobody wants them, Tommy. They, they bought initially, I believe, over 170 million doses. Of course. And hardly anybody's taken them. So, and this might have to be another episode, um, but then what would the purpose of this being a military program be? Would it be a calling of the population? Would it be a, a form of induced compliance? Is it a form of uh, guidance of evolution? Is this a form of transhumanism? Is this a form of track? I mean, I know these are all things that, you know, they're, I guess, I guess the black lights kind of fit it, and, you know, sit around smoking pot and talking about it. But I mean, we're at a point where this is the scientific process where you have to throw out ideas and kind of see which one seems like it has legs. And some of them are, you know, insane and some of them are more rational, but I'm just thinking aloud. And well, what, all what I can it, tell you as a doctor, I can't speculate. In I know you can't. I know you can't. This, this spike protein, Tommy, causes so many diseases. Yeah. Heart damage, brain damage, blood clotting, strokes, uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. I mean, if we've never seen a, a pathogenic, I mean, this makes staphylococcal toxin look like a party. This makes tetanus toxin look like nothing. Ryzen, you go aspergillus, this is nothing. Yeah. I mean, this spike protein is in the body for the long haul. Uh, Bruce Patterson, Incel DX is founded 15 months later. I mean, this is a permanent semi-permanent installation of the most disease-promoting protein we've ever seen in medicine. You know, what can be the goal of that? Yeah. Um, I have no idea, but healthcare costs, it's obvious, are going to skyrocket. Um, death rates, we've already seen them skyrocket. All-cause mortality skyrocket. Recent data out of the UK kind of answered the issue about all-cause mortality. The people dying on the rolls of life insurance companies are those who are vaccinated. So, uh, you, you know, that's now settled. It's not a mystery. Uh, those who didn't take the vaccine, they probably think it's the smartest health decision they ever made in their life. And they're right. Yeah, they're right. I mean, there's no regrets there. But we know from a Zogby survey, two thirds of Americans have taken the vaccine. Of those, 15% have some new disease that they're dealing with. They're seeing doctors, getting CT scans, taking medicines, blood thinners. I mean, there's a world of regret in 15% of people who take the vaccine. This is one of the most toxic, products ever made. I thought the uh, CDC vSafe data released under court order to ICANN was incredibly telling. There, that's that's the people reporting on the cell phone. It says right on the consent form, you know, go on your cell phone and report what happens. You know what happens, Tommy? People take these vaccines. 25% of them are incapacitated. They can't go to work the next day or the day after. We've never seen a vaccine incapacitate, you know, a huge segment of the population. Seven to eight percent are so bad off they have to go to the ER, be hospitalized. It's, it's like a, it's like a casualty. It's like getting a it's like getting a shot by a bullet. I mean, honestly, we've never seen anything like this. I wanted to point out that uh, uh, Rochelle Lewinsky um, tweeted out, and this is uh, going to appear on my Substack tomorrow. Um, but she tweeted out uh, again this persistent dogma, and I want people to to hear what she uh, what she said is um, she tweets out yesterday, you know, she's got COVID, uh, you know, she's on a, a multiple episode of COVID, taking four plus vaccines, and she tweets out this, COVID vaccines may not prevent every infection, but they do provide us important protection against severe illness, hospitalization, and death from COVID-19. My updated vaccine helped ensure my immune system was equipped to protect me against severe illness. That's what she said. So I just went ahead and went to the recent um, update, up, uh, updated fact sheet for the Pfizer vaccine. This is uh, updated as of August 22nd, Tommy, of 2022. This is the updated uh, version, August 31st. I'm sorry, August 20, uh, 2022. The benefits of COVID-19 vaccination with Pfizer. It's the shortest paragraph in the entire FAQ. It says the vaccine has been shown to prevent COVID, period, period. No mention of hospitalization, no mention of death, no mention of severity. What Walensky is doing is she's making a false claim. She's making a claim that's beyond the EUA, beyond what the FDA said that 
Pfizer could even put in the description of the vaccine. There's never been a randomized trial demonstrating reductions in hospitalization and death, placebo-controlled double-blind study, ever. One's not even planned. So what we have here is we have government officials making false claims that even the regulatory divisions don't agree with. Because if they did reduce hospitalization death, it would be all over the FAQ. Something, Tommy, has gone wrong, gone wildly wrong. What's in her mind? Mm. The options are that um, the options are she's being told by other powerful forces, you got to say this, number one. Uh, Option number two is she has a belief that the vaccines really don't work unless everybody takes it. And, and it's it's the better part of valor to tell a white lie, okay? Mm. Option number three, Tommy, is she's in a psychological trance that she's taking these vaccines, she's getting COVID, she's taking more vaccines, getting COVID, and, and that she the vaccines are almost like a talisman. The, mm. the vaccines are like a good luck charm, and that and that that her view of the human body is that our bodies are frail, and they need support from the DARPA develop super vaccines that somehow messenger RNA makes our bodies better. Everything that I see as a doctor, messenger RNA actually creates disease in the human body. That that the most natural and strongest bodies we have are those who've never taken these vaccines. It's I'm all for improvement and evolution, but I'm also not willing to throw out the fact that we quite literally evolved from what was it that what was it that survived the dinosaurs? A shrew? We have evolved, what, crossing the Bering Strait from the plains of Africa to northern Siberia to every plague possible. There's a bottleneck of a volcanic eruption like 2 million years ago where the human population dropped down to like 10,000 people. There is... I'm not throwing out the thing that I was born with. Hang on. By virtue of the fact it's survived this long. Dr. McCullough has, has, has run off camera. Um... I see a puppy on the couch. So I will say hello to the puppy. Um, I'd left because uh, my wife locked herself out. She didn't take enough messenger RNA <laughs> to be able to open up you, the lock. You got to have that messenger RNA to, to do everyday functions. But I, what, what I wanted to say is, yeah, I would imagine it's it's one of two. I think you're, you're dead on on two. It's either, like we talked about with mass formation psychosis, it's either a form of psychosis or... And I think as we're seeing with the DHS leaks, you can point to it as a more accurate thing. You're being told by someone else, right? Tim Dillon, the comedian, pointed out, pointed at SNL like nine months ago and said, this is state propaganda. And it was funny. But now you're actually starting to see from actual documents, indeed, it is state propaganda. It is propaganda. The Intercept report, everyone needs to look at uh, Department of Homeland Security. Um, remember, the Senate oversight is chaired by Ron Johnson. Uh, Johnson's already messaged me uh, tonight. We've got to have Senate investigations. We got to get to the bottom of this. We need to be bold and relentless with the truth. We'll leave it there, Tommy. I got to get going. I think you need to get Senator Johnson on here. Maybe my mood, maybe my mood light will convince him to to talk about it more. But okay, see you then, that, Dr. McCullough. Thank you so much. Your Substack, your Twitter, your book will all be in the description. As always, I will send this to you, Dr. McCullough. I love you. Keep fighting the good fight. Take care.